Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 694 for the 22nd of May, 2020. This week, Zoom was poised to sweep all of the other online meeting applications away, and then security concerns surfaced. Big ones. Zoom has moved quickly to resolve the issues, but now the company is facing an uphill battle against competitors. In short circuits, if you'd like to download videos from YouTube and other services, you may have noticed that it's not a straightforward process. Downloads are legal as long as you're downloading for your private use, and several applications make the process easier. We'll take a look at some. In a post-COVID-19 world, commerce will look a lot different. Apple is one organization that's preparing to lead the way. In spare parts, only on the website, about one-third of workers feel that a machine might take their job. Let's look at some of the details. COVID-19 misinformation and disinformation abound, but it's relatively easy to find honest information too. I'll list eight reliable resources. And 20 years ago, after selling Web Objects Java for $50,000 a copy, Apple suddenly cut the price to $700. This did not delight those who had paid full price. On Mother's Day, we had a virtual gathering on Zoom. I had used that service only once previously. I used it for a conference call with the New York City Metropolitan Transit Authority. After that event, I've heard some alarming news about Zoom's security, or lack of it. So let's see how the company is dealing with the challenge now. One of the primary weak spots was Zoom's technique for generating meeting numbers and not requiring passwords to enter the meeting. Another was lack of encryption. As a result, random people could wander into meetings, and if the meetings were recorded, they were available online without any protection at all. Alarming, at least to me, is that some physicians were using Zoom for telemedicine sessions with their patients. There's simply no way that Zoom was compliant with the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA, privacy guidelines. The HIPAA Journal, after previously stating that Zoom was an acceptable telemedicine alternative, now says that until security issues with Zoom are resolved, alternative telemedicine solutions should be used. Zoom is working to provide end-to-end -end encryption, but only for paid users. Zoom has acquired Keybase, a startup company that specializes in encryption. Until all of that happens, Zoom is adequate when used with care for family meetings, many business meetings, and schools. It is still questionable for use in healthcare settings where protected health information is shared. The list of what is considered personal health information is long. In part, it includes patient name, location, birth date, phone numbers, fax numbers, social security numbers, medical record numbers, email addresses, biometric identifiers, photos, and a lot more. And scammers are getting involved, too. 
They are nothing if not inventive, so naturally they're taking advantage of any confusion surrounding Zoom. But oddly, they're not trying to use it to steal Zoom credentials. One scam reported by Abnormal Security works this way. The victim receives a message that says they missed a scheduled Zoom meeting, so they should view the recording of the meeting soon. At a glance, the message appears to be legitimate, but a careful inspection would reveal it as a phony. The scam claims that the recording will be retained for only 48 hours, so it's important to view it as soon as possible. The link in the email goes to a phony Microsoft login page that contains the name of the victim's company and a Zoom logo. If the victim tries to log in, the scammers receive the Microsoft account username and password. That would, of course, give the crooks access to any information that's stored in the victim's Microsoft account. Links in messages are an ongoing source of attacks, and users should follow links only when they are absolutely certain that the message was sent by somebody they know. Or, better still, log in directly to Zoom. Ignore the link. Check for recordings of missed meetings there. The best advice is always not to click a link in an email. So, to get back to Zoom, on the 1st of April... Maybe that's an appropriate day. Zoom CEO Eric Yan announced a 90-day plan during which developers would work exclusively on fixing safety and privacy issues. Just before Mother's Day, Zoom made a few changes. All meetings must have passwords. Without a password, meetings were accessible to anybody who knew the meeting ID, and many people just used the same ID time after time. The waiting room function is turned on by default now. People arriving at the meeting will be in the waiting room until the meeting organizer allows them to enter the meeting. And meeting participants can no longer share their screens unless the meeting host allows it. Now, seriously, these all seem like such good, basic security measures that it's surprising they were overlooked until now. Unfortunately, many developers spend a great deal of time on making the application easy to use and fine-tuning the user interface, and choose to look into security for the application only if it catches on. That may be what happened with Zoom. So, the company is now in a race with competing providers of online meeting technologies, and some large companies have internal policies right now that forbid the use of Zoom for company meetings. The newly revised functions and additional work on making the platform more secure may win back some of those big paying customers, because Zoom has developed a system that is extremely easy to use. Zoom has responded quickly, but a couple of big competitors, Microsoft and Google, also responded quickly. They have added features that Zoom users like to their applications. Both have added a feature that looks a lot like Zoom's popular grid view, and Microsoft added the ability for users to add custom backgrounds to their images. Zoom is reminding users to update client applications to Zoom 5.0 before the end of May. Any meeting participants with earlier versions will receive a forced upgrade when they try to join meetings. And we users can help to make Zoom safer. When you set up a meeting, you can use an existing meeting ID, make up a meeting ID, or let Zoom create one for you. Let Zoom do it. People are predictable and allowing the system to create the ID eliminates that danger. 
the meeting password option can no longer be disabled. If you don't like the password Zoom recommends, you can create your own. Only those who have the password can either enter the meeting or get to the waiting room. Both the host and participant cameras should be turned off initially. This is less a security measure than a way of avoiding the potential for embarrassment if the camera is switched on before the organizer or the participants are ready. It's also a good idea not to enable the ability for participants to enter the meeting before the host arrives. This is off by default, and it's also a good idea to mute participants when they enter the meeting and to enable the waiting room. With all participants muted, the meeting organizer will need to give somebody permission to speak. Leave automatic recording of the meeting turned off, too. If you need to record a meeting, you can start the recording once the meeting itself has started. Once the meeting has been scheduled, Zoom offers the organizer an opportunity to copy a meeting invitation that can then be sent via messenger or email to all the participants. If security is a significant concern, you should avoid using this because it violates one key security practice. The password should never be included in the same message with the login procedure. So that suggests to me that the folks at Zoom still don't really quite get security. But Zoom is becoming more secure. It used with caution, it is sufficiently secure for most uses. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. Circuits, if you've ever wished you could download a video from YouTube, you've probably been frustrated to see that no option exists. You'd almost think that YouTube doesn't want you to download videos. And if you thought that, well, you'd be right. In fact, Google would prefer that you not download videos from YouTube. Google owns YouTube and makes money from advertising revenue. YouTube Premium does allow users to download videos and provides several other nice features, but at a cost of $144 per year. And there's more. The Premium service removes ads, enables downloading, and lets you continue playing videos when you're using other apps. And it includes YouTube Music without ads. If those services are worth the cost to you, $144 a year, then signing up for YouTube Premium makes a lot of sense, and you can then just forget about obtaining an application to download videos from YouTube. But if you need to download only an occasional video, don't care about the ads on YouTube, and use another music service such as Pandora or Spotify, then $12 per month might seem like a needless expense. Before going out any further on this particular limb, maybe it'd be wise to take a look at legality. I am not a lawyer. I am not a legal scholar. 
This is not legal advice. Instead, it's what I've worked out on my own by reading opinions of those who are lawyers and legal scholars. The conclusion I've reached is this. You're probably safe as long as you're downloading a YouTube video for your own personal use and you're not planning to share the video publicly, claim it as your own work, or share it on the Internet. If you want to share a YouTube video, YouTube provides links that can be shared to various social media services and even embedded on a website. You'll see those from time to time on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You can also save a link to your own playlist for viewing later. A common reason for wanting to download a video is the ability to view it when you have no internet connection. Downloading for that reason seems to be both legal and ethical even though it technically violates Google's Terms of Service. The Terms of Service state, and I quote here, you agree not to access content through any technology or means other than the video playback pages of the website itself, the YouTube player, or such means YouTube may explicitly designate for this purpose. Well, I have to think that Google and YouTube will not be terribly concerned about users who download videos solely for their own use, and Google claims nowhere that doing so is illegal, only that it violates their terms of service, and they can close your account if they determine you have violated the terms of service. So having your account closed seems unlikely, unless you're really a pirate. There are online services that can download videos for you, as well as free and paid applications that do the job. If you're looking for the best option, and you don't mind paying for it, just download and install the 4K video downloader, then follow the instructions to pay for the pro upgrade. It's $12. Not $12 a month, not even $12 a year, just $12 once. The price includes installation on up to three computers. Now note that some users have reported that the registration key doesn't show up in their email, but the developer will respond quickly to requests to have the key emailed again. The program is available for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux computers. The free version does have some limitations, such as the number of videos that can be downloaded in a single session, so the paid version is a good deal. Despite the name, the 4K video downloader can handle 8K videos, and the user can decide whether to downsample the video for playback on a mobile device or just to save disk space. If you want just the audio and you don't care about the video, there's an option for that too. Besides YouTube, the application can download videos from Facebook, Vimeo, SoundCloud, Flickr, Dailymotion, Cafe, Twitch, TikTok, and Likey and it supports virtually all video formats. You'll find a long list of those video formats on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and even that list isn't everything. In normal download mode, the user selects the preferred quality manually. The 4K video downloader will show the resolution of the video and the available lower resolutions. There's also a smart mode the user can activate so that someone who downloads videos for use on a mobile device could select lower resolution, or somebody who captures videos for archival and historical reasons could choose to always download the highest quality available. If you'd prefer an application that's completely free, YouTube Downloader HD is a good choice. 
Currently, it does not handle 4K or 8K videos. If you select a download quality that's higher than that of the video you're trying to download, YouTube Downloader HD suggests the next lower option. That process continues until it identifies a download option that's the same as or lower than the source video. And then it displays a success notice when the download is complete. Those are two excellent options, but there are others. Here's a list of three you might consider. You'll find links on the TechBiter Worldwide website to all of these applications, by the way. There is VidPaw. It requires no installation because it's an online service. Video Download Helper is an extension for most browsers. It can download videos from a variety of sites. And YTD Video Downloader is free and easy to use. It can also download from most video sites and handles virtually all common video formats. So if you want to download a video from YouTube or Vimeo or one of the other video services, give one of these little applications a try. beginning to see some indications of what stores will look like for the foreseeable future, at least that part of the future prior to development of a vaccine to protect against the novel coronavirus, some companies seem to be more willing than others to adapt. Apple, for example, closed all of its stores. About 100 have reopened around the world, and they are very different from what customers remember. Apple Senior Vice President for Retail Deidre O'Brien sent a message to customers in mid-May. You'll find a link to that message on the TechBiter Worldwide website. O'Brien says that stores will limit occupancy and that face coverings will be required for all employees and customers. Apple will provide masks for customers who arrive without one, and each customer's temperature will be checked at the door. Then the customer will be asked questions about potential exposure to the virus. Smokehouse Brewing, a large brew pub in central Ohio, hasn't yet opened, even though it could have opened this week. Instead, the management has said that they're working on plans for a responsible reopening, including a policy that will require reservations even for the bar. We won't be packed, they say on Facebook. We can pay more attention to you. You can feel relatively safe. Are we nervous? You betcha. Will this work? We hope so. Is it worth the effort? We think so. Are you worth it? Absolutely. Many restaurants and bars are developing similar procedures that will allow them to reduce the risk to employees and customers. Some have not. The first weekend in Ohio that allowed bars and restaurants to open their patios was marred by a couple of bad actors and their patrons. Social distancing was ignored. Masks were not in use. These are the kinds of businesses that are literally killing their clientele. As Mo Howard sometimes said in the Three Stooges motion pictures, spread out. Social distancing isn't needed for spare parts if you read it from the privacy of your home. This week you'll find these articles. About one-third of workers feel that a machine might take their job. Let's take a look at some of the details. COVID-19 misinformation and disinformation abound. They're everywhere. But it's easy to find honest information, too. I will list eight reliable resources. 
And 20 years ago, after selling WebObjects Java for $50,000 a copy, Apple suddenly cut the price to $700. That did not delight those who had paid the full price. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.